Well, today we wrap up our study of the book of Daniel, which we've been in for about three months now. Daniel has 12 chapters broken up into two main sections, six chapters of court tales. Uh, these are the events that God's people experienced in Babylon when taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And then even when the Medo-Persians came in, they continued to serve there at court. And then the last six chapters are apocalyptic visions, where Daniel is given four visions of the future, four prophecies of things to come. And apocalyptic is a particular genre of prophecy that has to do with the end times and not just the future, where things are communicated through powerful, vivid images that demonstrate the powerful sovereignty of God over against the powerful forces of evil. That God does not leave us in any doubt what the future holds in store or who holds that future. And our theme that we've kept reiterating over and over again is that we are to stay faithful and hopeful because God is sovereign and he will set all things right. So we're going to begin our conclusion by how we began our preview by walking briefly through Daniel's 12 chapters and reminding ourselves of where we've been as we prepare to wrap up. So in chapter 1, Daniel as a young lad of perhaps around 15 was taken captive from Jerusalem by the Babylonians and when he was brought to court and was going to be put on a particular diet to prepare him for the king's service, Daniel had set his heart not to defile himself with the king's food that Daniel would not do anything to corrupt his witness, to defile his God, to defile his character, or disobey his God. And what was demonstrated are that God's ways are best. God's ways of life, God's ways of living, of marriage, of parenting, of doing business, God's ways are always best, and that proved true through Daniel and his friends at court. And then Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And you'll remember there was a dream of a statue with a golden head, and a silver torso, and then a bronze waist going down to iron legs, and then feet of mixed iron and clay. And this was a vision of the kingdoms that would be coming, but this statue was smashed by a stone, and then it grew to a mountain that filled all the world as an enduring kingdom. Because a recurring prophecy that we're going to see time and again in Daniel is there are going to be a succession of pagan powers that are going to have rule over God's people, until in the appointed time, God sends his Messiah who will overcome all of God's enemies and then he will reign forever and forever. And that's our great hope. That we don't lose heart when pagan powers prevail for a season because they were prophesied. They were anticipated. God is going to use them to accomplish his purposes. But in the end, he will send his son and he will conquer and he will reign and then we will experience the righteousness and peace, the shalom that we all desire, that we were intended for, forever and forever. In chapter 4, we saw proud Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to the foreign king. Even if God did not rescue them from the furnace, they would not bend the knee to a foreign god as a lesson for us, that whatever the pagan culture demands of us, we will not worship its gods. We will not be unfaithful to our God. And that God is powerful enough to prevail and to redeem even from the fiery furnace. But even if he chooses not to do so, we will not worship another God. We will not be unfaithful to our God. 
Chapter 4, proud Nebuchadnezzar walking on the roof of his palace, taking claim for the things that God had given him to enjoy until God humbled him. And for seven years, he lived outside with his nails and his hair growing long until finally he looked up and repented of his pride and he said, I've learned something that God knows how to humble a man. And we saw the persistent lesson that we all have to learn personally that God is indeed opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we need to walk humbly with our Lord. And then as the Nebuchadnezzar and his son fell to the Medo-Persian Empire and the handwriting on the wall when he dared blaspheme God by bringing out the sacred vessels from the temple that had been captured and using them to offer a blasphemous toast. And God was instantaneous in his deposing of that wicked king. Again, a reminder to God's people through all the ages that God is sovereign. He raises up kings and he puts them down at his pleasure and none can stand against his will. And then we saw that Daniel, who even when he was commanded by law, threatened with execution, if he continued to pray to God, would not stop praying three times a day, facing Jerusalem as he would always done. That just like we will not corrupt ourselves with this world, just like we will not bend the knee to its gods, so we will not stop the worship and the obedience of our God no matter what the world threatens. Ultimately, we serve God our sovereign and we trust in him to protect us as he did Daniel, even in the lion's den. This then transitions us to seven chapters of prophecy. You'll remember the first one was the four beasts rising out of the sea and then this cutting away to the throne room of the Ancient of Days, opening up the books of judgment, and then one like a son of man approaching him. And to him was given a kingdom and authority and dominion to reign forever and forever, anticipating Christ given all authority, and he is going to extend his kingdom to every nation, tribe, and tongue until he does come and reigns over God's people forever and forever. In chapter 8, we had the prophecy of the ram and the goat prophesying the Medo-Persian Empire that was displaced by Alexander the Great and the Greeks, and then Antiochus Epiphanes anticipating the Antichrist, the final enemy of God before Messiah comes. And then the 70 weeks that Daniel, reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, knew that the 70 years of captivity were coming to an end and that God's promises were always true, and so he confessed the sins of him and his nation and appealed to God for deliverance, knowing that God would fulfill that prayer. And then in 10 through 12, we are in the fourth and final chapter or the fourth and final vision of Daniel, that there was this preparation, this anticipation of the vision. And then in 11 through 12, four, the giving of the vision itself, which brings us today to the conclusion of chapter 12, the epilogue, to the vision and the conclusion of the book of Daniel. Our text begins, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on the bank of that river. So this reminds us that Daniel is still in chapter 12, where he began in chapter 10 on the banks of the Tigris River, and once again the angelic messenger, having delivered his message, he now has two angels at his side and the figure across the way, dressed in priestly uh, linen, is there as well. 
And you'll remember that this one was none other than the pre-incarnate Christ, whose body was like beryl, whose limbs were like bronze, whose face was like lightning, whose eyes were like fire, whose voice was like a tumult. And this son of man that Daniel saw in the throne room had come to earth in anticipation of what he would do at Christmas through the incarnation. And the angel says to this one, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? How much time remains until these last day prophecies of the Antichrist and the enemies of God being deposed are fulfilled? And the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, raised his right hand and then his left towards heaven. Now, today, if you go into a courtroom or if you ever take a solemn vow or oath, you raise your right hand. And it's this idea of lifting a hand to heaven that God is going to authenticate the words that you're about to swear. And this was true in the Old Testament as well, but now we see both hands lifted, reassuring us of the validity and the certainty of what's about to be spoken. And he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all of these events will be completed. Now we've seen the phrase time, time, and half a times before in Daniel. And it refers to the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation that will be the final persecution of God's people under Antichrist before Messiah returns. And he is saying once again that there is going to be a time limit to the suffering of God's people. That God is going to allow the Antichrist to persecute his people for a season, but only for a season. And then the suffering will be done. And then Messiah will come. And then we get the words that were given at the first use of this phrase in Daniel 7. Then the court will sit for judgment. And Antichrist's dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. And the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. The future is not in question. The outcome is not uncertain. And we're told in advance that things are going to get dark and then they're going to get darker. Then they're going to get darkest of all just before the end. And then the dawn will break and the sun will come. And then we will be in new bodies on a new earth, seeing God face to face, reigning on that new earth as a kingdom of priests forever and forever and forever. And now Daniel has a question of his own. As for me, I heard, but could not understand. And by the way, when we read prophecies of Scripture that we find difficult to understand, be encouraged. The prophets receiving them often did as well. Uh, there are mysteries that our little minds can't begin to understand. Uh, Peter tells us that angels long to look into the mysteries of the gospel. And there are mysteries here just like there are in science and in every other field. In fact, I've been listening to a book on now, what's called Big History, that it's a field of history that begins with the origin of the universe as scientists understand it, and begins from the Big Bang to the formation of universes and stars, and then from them the basic elements, all the way through. So it takes history in big chunks. And after all the centuries that astronomers have spent studying the universe, they still don't understand most of it. In fact, the majority of the mass of the universe is something called dark matter. Over 90% of the estimated mass of the universe 
is something that scientists call dark matter that we have no empirical evidence for, but if it doesn't exist, the math equations don't work. So basically what they're saying is, we have no test showing that it exists. We have no evidence that gives any indication that this substance exists, but we're banking our science that it does exist because otherwise the math equations don't work. And so don't be intimidated if people say that there's mysteries in scripture. There's mysteries everywhere. And there here are as well. So Daniel says, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? When the seven years are done, when the three and a half years of intense suffering are done, what will be the final outcome? What will be the results? And initially, it looks like he's going to be given no answer. The angel simply says, go your way. Uh, you may remember when the apostles came to Christ in Acts chapter 1, right before he ascended, and said, is it now that you're coming to restore the kingdom? And what was Jesus' answer? It's not been given to you, no, to know the times and the seasons that the Father has set, but you, you're going to be given the Spirit to go be my witnesses. You focus on staying faithful. Don't worry about trying to calculate the times of the end. But then the angel goes on to give a twofold response and then two mysterious indications of additional timing. So he says, Many will be purged purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. When the final purging comes, it's going to purify some and it's going to harden others even further because God's people respond differently to trial than those who don't know the Lord. Uh, one of the most powerful descriptions of this is in Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, where he describes his personal experience of being wrongly tried and sent to a Siberian prison camp and the things that people will do to stay alive or not. And he says, there comes a moment in every prisoner's soul where you will either do anything to stay alive physically or you won't do anything physically to jeopardize your soul. And there's a juncture that after the shock and the awe and you finally come into just enduring what the suffering is going to be, you come to a fork in a road that I will do anything to get out of this. I'll betray anyone. I'll steal anyone's food. I will give up my soul to save my body or to give it a few more days. And then there are those that won't. And they don't fear those that can kill the body, but the one who can feels, kills the soul. And then he says, you begin to rise. Then the ascending occurs. When you finally submit yourself to whatever God has decreed for you and to say, God, however deep this gets, however long this goes, however hard this is, shape me, sanctify me, purify me, use this to make me more like Christ. And he does. And then there are those who become embittered and reject God and renounce God and become hardened and calloused and cynical. And the trials will separate the sheep from the goat and reveal the chaff from the wheat. Um, in the Nazi camps of World War II, there was a Jewish sufferer named Eli Wiesel who won the Nobel Prize for Literature for a book called Night. And if you went to college, you probably had to read this book because he talks about a young boy being murdered by the Nazis on a scaffold. And he said, seeing that innocent lad dangling from a rope, my God died there on that scaffold. 
And Eli Wiesel became an atheist because of the suffering that he was witnessing and experiencing. In contrast with Corey Ten Boom, who likewise was in a prison camp, watching people suffer, suffering herself, but it sanctified her, deepened her love of Christ. She served the prisoners around her, and then she exited and became one of the great evangelists and saints that have encouraged so many of us through her writings and her examples. The same suffering produced two differing response and revealed who truly knew the Lord and didn't. And this time is going to have that result in the end. And then he gives two mysterious date additions. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now, the abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist will be in a renewed temple in Jerusalem and will set up a false sacrifice and demand worship of himself. And we get a description of this in the book of 2 Thessalonians that says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for Christ's return will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or objects of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple, displaying himself to be God. And after this event occurs, a clock begins to tick, and now we have not 1,290 days, or not the uh, three and a half years, but 30 days more, 1,290 days. And then 45 days more is 1,335 days. And I'm not going to confuse you further by trying to summarize and sort out all the myriad of explanations of what these dates mean and when they fall. Instead, I'm going to offer a summary of what Paul Tanner, our commentator on Daniel, says. The extra 30 days and the additional 45 days seem to follow the second coming of Christ, and we can only speculate as to what they are for. And that's about all we know. We just don't know. And that's freeing also. Uh, when I was in seminary, I took an entire semester reading the works of John Calvin. And I was so excited to be able to read the Institutes and this foundational work of our doctrine and to get this great mind to finally explain some of the mysteries of Calvinism. And I see Sam and Nathan grinning because we read Institutes together this summer. And time and again, Calvin punts. Time and again, he'll say something like, but how is it just and fair and right for God to predestine some? And it's like, yeah. And you turn the page, God does not tell us. And so here we must worship and trust and question no further. And over and, again, over and again in the Institutes, we come to this puzzle that all of us have and this question that the saints have been uh, puzzling over for millennia, and Calvin refuses to speculate because the Bible doesn't address it. And he says, when the Bible is silent, we should be silent. And here we trust because it is not our responsibility to understand and explain every mystery of Scripture but rather to affirm what the Bible affirms, to deny what the Bible denies, to believe what it teaches and obey what it commands and leave the rest to God. And that's liberating. That's freeing to know that there's some things that we just don't know now. When we get to heaven, presumably we will, I suspect we won't care and that that long list of questions we've been accumulating won't seem especially relevant or pressing anymore. And that's okay. And we're left with this. But instead... 
he focuses on where our focus should be. But as for you, go your way to the end. And then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. The angel asked how long. And there's a time limit on it. God knows. Daniel wanted to know some more specifics and he didn't understand the answer that he got. But the point, the emphasis is, Daniel, here's your takeaway. And here's our takeaway as we leave this book of Daniel. Go your way to the end. Persevere. Endure. Run your race to the end. Stay faithful. You be faithful, believing what God teaches, obeying what God commands, fulfilling His purpose for your life, using your gifts to serve the church, giving the gospel to everyone that we have an opportunity to, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving one another as Christ loved us, loving our neighbors ourselves, and keep doing that until God loans us our last breath. And that's our focus. That's our purpose. That's our takeaway from the book of Daniel. God is sovereign. He has decreed the end from the beginning. He is sovereign over the nations. He is sovereign over history. He is able to preserve and protect and rescue his people. He often does, but not always. And both are in his hands. But as for us, persist, persevere, endure. Die in harness. Don't give up. Don't fall away. Don't falter. Don't get distracted. Keep loving, obeying, and believing to the very end. Um, yesterday I saw a prayer request from a friend whose father was sick. And this morning I saw that his father had passed. And this was the tribute that uh, he left for his father. My dad passed away this morning. He died in peace after many days of fighting. I love him immeasurably. And I'm so proud of the life he lived. My dad was patient and kind. He was not one to boast or be proud. He was not rude or self-seeking. He was not easily angered and kept no record of wrongs. He did not delight in evil, but rejoiced in the truth. He was a protector of those in need. He would trust you, hope with you, persevere with you. His love for me and for so many never failed. And you probably recognize the resonance of 1 Corinthians 13 applied to his dad. He had many gifts of faith that could move mountains, a hope that could not be crushed. But his greatest gift was his love, his overabounding and unrestrained love. And now in the bosom of Christ, he has gained everything. And that's exactly what Daniel says, that after we endure, after we stay faithful, after we persevere, we enter into our rest. And then we rise to receive our reward. He has gained everything. He saw him in a glass dimly, but now he sees Jesus face to face. He knew Christ in part, but now he knows him fully, as he himself was fully known. Christus Victor. Isn't that a great tribute for a dad? Of my dad loved long. My dad loved the whole life long. And his faith endured and his hope endured. And now he's receiving his reward. And that's the legacy we want to leave. And however life began, we can end well. If we've lost our way along the way, if we've gotten off track, 
And we all get lost sometimes. We can end well. And that's the challenge and the hope and the promise of Daniel. Wherever you're at in your journey, wherever point you are in your pilgrimage, determine now to be like Daniel and to go, go to the very end, loving, obeying, believing, serving. And then we enter into our rest. Um, I was hoping that Jonathan Hull would be here, but he may be out at a deer lease. Uh, but Jonathan said to his dad one time, Dad, I like that Daniel fella. And he goes, really? Why? And little Jonathan went on to give several specific applications that he had learned from the example of Daniel sitting in this sanctuary with us. And we want to do the same. We want to conclude with some lessons from the life of Daniel. And first, stay devoted to the very end. Stay faithful to the bridegroom, Christ. Don't defile yourself with the king's food, with the world's goods. Don't bow down to false gods, no matter what the threat. And persist in the worship of the one true God, whatever they threaten us with. Stay faithful. We have made a vow. Uh, back before I had carpal tunnel, I used to have a ring on my right hand as well as my left. And this was a cross ring and then my wedding ring. And looking at them was a reminder of the two vows that I had made, that I was going to be faithful to my wife. And I started praying as an engaged man that God would take my life before I was ever unfaithful. And still pray that prayer. And I trust God would fully answer that prayer. And then the cross that I had made a vow to Christ. And by God's grace, I was going to be faithful to him no matter what. And those were my vows. That was my life. And so stay devoted like Daniel no matter what. Secondly, Serve faithfully to the end, no matter what the circumstances. Daniel was taken captive as a 15-year-old boy, likely separated from his family, removed from his country and his culture, put into a pagan court where he served one pagan king after another, surrounded by envious enemies that sought his life. And then when the people of God were able to return to Jerusalem after the seven years' captivity, and Daniel didn't go with them, he stayed faithful to the end. From 15 to around 85, seven decades of faithfulness. That's a tribute for all of us. That's why we look up to people like Papa Mel and Nan Anderson and others that were faithful to the end. And so wherever God has you, whatever the circumstances, be a Daniel, be a Joseph. If you're serving your dad with a sheep, serve faithfully. If you're betrayed and end up in Potiphar's house, serve faithfully. If you're falsely accused and end up in prison, serve faithfully. If God frees you and exalts you to Pharaoh's right hand, serve faithfully. Wherever you are, whatever the circumstances, whatever the challenge is, our lot is clear. We're to serve faithfully wherever God placed us. Thirdly, trust Scripture to the end. Daniel was reading Jeremiah and knew the time's about up. It's been 70 years. And he knew that God was going to be faithful to answer those promises. It's been so frustrating to try to get reliable data on any subject this season. It's so hard to make good decisions when we get, can't get good data. But scripture is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is accurate. It is enduring. It is inerrant. It is trustworthy. So trust it. When things get crazy around us, when the world lies to us in various forms when our flesh lies to us in various ways, 
Trust God's word. Let that be our compass, our charter, our map. It's going to lead us to where we need to go. Fourthly, keep praying to the very end. Daniel was always praying. He was called to interpret the king. So what did they do? They held a prayer meeting. He's going to pray three times a day. He hears that the 70 years are up. What does he do? He prays. Daniel was dedicated to prayer. And so we, I mean, as David talked about making resolutions for the coming year, I feel such a longing to pray more, such a need to pray more, that after living so frantically, living so busy, distracted with other things, and Daniel's a good model of this, of perseverance and faithful prayer from beginning to end, and God is faithful to answer that. And then finally, prevail to the very end. Play every minute. Run every yard. Stay to the last grain of sand drops. Be faithful to your last breath. Whatever inspires you to do that, you know, depending on your generation, it may be Winston Churchill saying, never give in. Never, never, ever, never give in. Or it may be Admiral McRae speaking to the commencement address at UT Austin in 2014. Never, ever ring the bell. Never give up. Maybe Papa Mel sitting across the lunchroom table from me saying, when I die, I'm going to watch you from heaven. And if you ever stop making disciples, I'm going to come back and haunt you. <laughs> and, and Mel would do that for me. And so, but he's an inspiration to die in harness, to fall down, leaning forward. For others, it may be Reepicheep, my son's favorite hero of Narnia. As for me, my plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. And when she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. And when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise pointed east. <laughs> that mouse wouldn't give it up. And neither should we. We're going to endure to the end by God's grace because... In that moment, and here's our great model and example. Therefore, says the author of Hebrews, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Moses, Caleb, Daniel, Joshua, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's our model of faithfulness, fidelity to the end to emulate. But he's not going to stay seated forever. Because as Daniel 2 revealed, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will endure forever. And Christ, when he comes, will be like the Son of Man revealed in Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tribe might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Stay faithful 
Stay hopeful. God is sovereign and he's sending his son to set all things right. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this beautiful book. Thank you for this wonderful season that we've had to study the life and the lessons of this great saint of how to be faithful, devoted, prayerful, enduring, hopeful, even in the midst of discouraging times and circumstances. Would you grant us the grace to persevere to the end? Keep us faithful until that moment when we see our Lord in the face and hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servants. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.